Listener Production. Guys, just before we get into this episode, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a trigger warning. I have a guest on today and we are going to be discussing topics around neglect, childhood trauma and childhood abuse. So we're going to be linking some things in the show notes for support, but also feel free to skip this episode if that's going to be something that you want to bypass. Stunning. I I did my box breathing while I weed. Oh, I like that. Get my heart rate down. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain. This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. All right, welcome everyone. Welcome to the episode of today. So I am very excited. I always say I'm excited, but I'm very excited for this episode because I've got someone who I really respect, admire, look up to, adore, just in love. Her name is Revy Jane and welcome Revy. Welcome to the show. What an honor it is to be on your show. I'm so happy to have you here. We actually met at a panel. We were speaking at a panel on the Gold Coast like three months ago, maybe less. Hmm. Yeah. And before I had met you a few months earlier, or maybe more than a few months earlier, one of my best friends was like, I'm obsessed with this girl. I'm obsessed with her. And she (laughs) shared like your Instagram with me. And I kind of skimmed over it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I started watching Mm. your stories. And my, one of my favorite things that Revy does, if you don't already follow her, follow her at at Revy Jane. It's Revy Jane. Yeah. Yeah. And she does like, she films herself reading the last few chapters of uh, like books and yes. I'm like obsessed. I could, it's like, you know, ASMR where you could like, I could just watch that on repeat. It's the best. But anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all those kind words. That means a lot. Of course. So one thing that you mentioned when we did the panel together, which I really loved, was your take on like balance in life and kind of the myth of balance, because I think everyone's trying to strike a balance, but like Mm. how, and if you can't, then what are we doing instead? Can you like talk to that? Because I loved what you were talking about when we did that panel. It's a buzzword balance, right? Especially Mm. as a mom and as someone who has businesses, it's like, oh, how do you find the balance? I think I get asked that all the time. All the time. Just, okay, before you delve into that, just let people know. So you've got two daughters You've got businesses, plural. Content Tell. creator. And I have my own active wear label. And my husband owns a business. And I've got uh, th- three dogs. I've got three dogs <laughs> three at the moment, dogs. guys. <laughs> One is a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> One was on his way out. And then I thought, oh, you know, it's my husband's 40th. I'll get the third dog. And then now I come home and I'm like, what have I done? I'm looking at Tank like, Tank, you said you're on your way out, buddy. I thought you were going to die. <laughs> Every day with him is a gift. Anyways, yes. So I've got a, a bit on my plate. So there's, you know, definitely the question that comes through in my DMs is like, how do you find the balance? Mm. And so I think when I was really answering that question for people, I was envisioning what balance means. And when I thought about it, I would like hold out two hands or see a scale where there was like two sides and you're trying to put things on either side of the scale to make it balance. Mm. That's how I sort of looked at it. And I was like, in what world in today's modern society are we just trying to make two things balance? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we have way more on our plates than two fucking things. So I like to think of it as like a plate. And you have a ball underneath the plate. Mm. 
And there's probably like 1% of the time that thing's going to balance, which I feel like is so much more realistic. Mm. We are leaning towards businesses. We are leaning towards relationships, friendships. We're leaning towards our own mental health. We're leaning towards, you know, our fitness or our work endeavors or giving back to ourselves, giving back to our community. Then if you're a mum, there's like 50 more points. (laughs) There's so many tabs. And I just feel like when we debunk or like step outside that perception of like, why can't I balance these two things? And we actually explore what we're trying to navigate in this today's world. Mm. It is so much broader and it gives us a little bit less pressure Mm. because I've, I understand every single day that, especially as I become a mom of two and the, in the businesses, I was thinking, am I meant to feel like I'm failing every week like am I meant to feel like I'm dropping the ball every Mm. fucking week no like you're actually because what we're trying to achieve feels impossible because it is yeah we were never meant to do this much and now we're trying to do it and then you add social media and it's like oh that person has it all together and I don't and we just we sort of spiral into we're not doing enough which just is so not true yeah because you're looking at it as we're not I'm not doing enough for this benchmark that I've set myself, which is unrealistic Mm. as far as to do it all at the same time. And I think that instead of, I was actually, I think I had this conversation with Rachel Dillon actually, and she was talking about like, you've got all these cylinders firing, but they're never all firing the same amount at the same time. So you're going to be, and kind of like the plate analogy, you're you're always, there's going to be one that you feed into more always. And then when that one goes down a bit, then you're feeding more into your relationship and that's really firing it. But then your business is, oh, and then you go back. Ooh, and it's kind and of that's just. But that's, yeah. I, if we can normalize that, yeah. I feel like we would be so much kinder to ourselves. Mm. If we can normalize the fact that when your business is thriving and, you know, your kids are looked after and feeling loved, your friendships are going to suck. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then mm. your friendships are thriving, but then work is falling behind. When all of that kind of comes into play and we consider those things, I just feel like we are going to be so much kinder to ourselves and not feel like we're failing, which yeah. is a really shitty feeling to feel. Yeah, totally. Totally. And also I feel like understanding that for other people as well. Mm. I feel like the my friendships now, the healthiest ones are the ones where we just so get it. If someone's like <laughs> dropping off the radar for a little bit, I'm like... I feel you. Like I, instead of being like, you didn't come to this. I think that's invitation. like an age thing too. Like, Definitely. Oh my gosh. And then you, if you have a baby one day, like it's like, I have one minute to see you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally. My friends that have had kids, it's like yeah. such, and, and you've got to evolve obviously with them. And it's such a learning curve for me as a friend. Cause I'm like, mm. I've got to, how do I meet you where you need to be met kind of thing. Yeah. But it is, it's. You know, there's so many mini seasons within a season as well. What do you respond to people when they ask, how do you find the balance? I don't. (laughs) Yeah, I do. When they say, how do you do it all? I say, I don't. Mm. I'm actually married. So he is, is, you know, an equal part to a team. Um, I have a lot of help with my staff and my team. I, in terms of quote unquote all, there's so much that you're not seeing. You're not seeing the mess that is my kitchen bench or the fact that this week I didn't meet my target for the budget or I'm, you know, financially stressed or mentally I'm shot to pieces Mm. or I'm not sleeping because I'm so wired because I've had to work so late. Like it's just, there's so much that we're not displaying and that's for our own healthy boundaries. Like we don't want to kind of share all the parts that 
we're struggling with. It's, it's hard to share the struggle sometimes, but I yeah. think we, when we sit there and compare ourselves to other people, it's just one of the most unhelpful things that you can do. Mm. Someone said to me the other day, I wish I had your life. And I was just like, oh, honey, <laughs> oh, <laughs> honey. <laughs> Oh dear. Like, like, am I not portraying authenticity enough? Because mm. there's a lot going on in here that you yeah, probably don't know about. Yeah. Um, but that's, a, but, but this is the prime example when it comes to comparison, because you are very honest about who you are, your journey, you know, juggling everything. And even then mm. what people see perceive is like, a fraction of what it is that you're actually trying to translate across. So it just, no wonder, then then you look at the accounts where it's super curated. Mm -hmm. No wonder people are going to be like, oh my God, this is just the perfect life. It's like, even when you're being transparent, even when you're like, hey, this is the journey I've been on, this is like, come along. Like, uh, yeah. It's still perceived differently. Everyone's going to perceive it in their own way. Yeah. We can, we can say that about anyone, mm. but I guarantee you that no one's had that perfect life with no hardship. It's all relative. Yeah. The reason I've gotten Revy to speak on the show, there's many that, we, I mean, I, I have said, like, I'm not prepping you with questions. I just want this to be like a free-flowing, you know, chat. But a lot of what I talk about on this podcast is not just, oh, just be happy and think happy thought. It's how do we manage hmm. what it is that's going on to live the most fulfilled life possible? And I think that you're a perfect example of someone who can talk about that. Sure. Well, I do live with a spicy brain. I have um, a few disorders that I live with on a daily basis. And I think it's just important to, I guess, with my platform and having a public profile and living my life out loud, I've never really called myself a mental health advocate mm. outrightly. I kind of inadvertently try to do that because I guess I'm really passionate about showing people that mental health disorders can look like wholesome, joyous, calm, successful, high achieving people, mm. but also are the strugglers there on a daily basis. Uh, so that's really something that I've tried to do through my platform over the years. I've had it since about 2013, 2014. And it's just something I fell into. It was not a job by any means, but it's something that I really love doing, just sharing my life out loud. And then just people started watching and, and commenting and sharing bits and pieces of their life with me. I have a pretty interesting life because I hit rock bottom at a very early age. We think of rock bottom and we think like a woman going on their eat, pray, love journey mm. or like someone going through a divorce, someone going through When they're like bankruptcy. well into their adulthood almost. Yeah. yeah. And that's where you go, okay, what am I going to do with my life? When I was 14, that's sort of when things yeah. happened for me that I was like, what am I going to do? A bit of a background on my story. My father left when I was about eight years old. He was an alcoholic and he was very abusive. And then my mother left when I was about 14 years old and I was living on my own with her. What? Yeah. So I um, essentially, she had a lot of mental health issues from her traumatic upbringing. She was an immigrant from Indonesia, Maidan, and she just really struggled to, I mean, we all know, like if you have trauma and it's unresolved, mm. it's projected trauma. Massively. And it just came out that, you know, children just end up being that to their, their parents, they're, they're punching bag and when they don't seek the help. And so I ended up at 14 just wondering what I was meant to be doing with my life. And my question to myself when I was young and trying to make sense of all this was, if my parents don't want me here, what am I doing here? And I try to take my life. And so I was admitted into a children's mental health institution and stayed there for a few weeks and was diagnosed with depression 
And from there, I guess I didn't have a template of what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be like, but I had a template of what I didn't want. Yeah. And so I embarked on trying to figure out how to make sense of life. And that was a really difficult thing to do because I was a child still, but I knew that I knew what I didn't want. And I knew that I never wanted anyone to feel what I had felt in those years, which is isolated and depressed and unlovable and unworthy. So I ended up uh, seeking help mainly when I had entered a long-term relationship with my now husband. So I was about 19, 20 when I started therapy Mm -hmm. and I I was so hardwired and I got diagnosed with CPTSD, which Mm -hmm. is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And that really... It felt heavy, but it also felt very liberating and gave me a lot of information on what I was trying to navigate. And since then, I've seen therapists and I've had three over the 12 years that I've been in therapy now, but it's been something that has really helped me understand how my brain works. So for those of you who haven't heard of complex post-traumatic stress disorder, so many people have heard of PTSD Mm, uh, and we see it like it represented with veterans, war veterans or people. And like one big event that causes exactly. a, yeah, a traumatic response. Yeah. yeah, it's a singular event. And the three main symptoms are reoccurrence, so having nightmares of that in, uh, that incident, which is an unwanted experience. So usually through nightmares or intrusive thoughts, you sort of recreate that experience. There's also the sense of threat and hypervigilance, so scanning for threat. Mm-hmm. And there's also avoidance. So those are the three main symptoms of PTSD. With complex post-traumatic stress disorder, it's commonly found in children because they've been exposed to that trauma for a prolonged Mm. period of time. It's usually through sexual, physical or mental abuse, neglect, even, I mean, I know that the amount of people that I've spoken to that you know, say things like, oh, well, my parents were always here for me. They put a roof over my head. Mm -hmm. They're always food on the table. It's so common to have emotional neglect. And this is something that children need is emotional availability and emotional support. So I think it's really important not to discount the types of neglect that go around. And I've just have so many conversations with my now adult friends who can recognize that within themselves. Mm. You know, children need two main things and that's to feel really, really safe and to feel validated and seen. And so if we're not providing that emotional availability to them, this is a form of neglect and neglect can be abusive. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the biggest struggles that I think a lot of people have is neglect. And the biggest fears is to be abandoned or neglected. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of understood. So going back to the PTSD, so there's three of those symptoms and then there's the three additional symptoms of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. One of them is the interpersonal disturbances. So just really having sort of relationship issues, not knowing what to trust, not knowing who to trust, not knowing sort of like social norms. Mm. Then you've got your negative self-concept. So when a child is being abused and they've got the anger that comes up and they want to defend themselves or they, you know, they are upset, they don't blame the parent. That gets internalized and they blame themselves. They said, if only if I could have cleaned my room better or if I could have, you know, morphed myself into this better, like all of those types of things. They'll absorb that and think, yeah. They they could could have have done done better. Yeah. And then dysregulation, executive dysfunction, all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff where you have an irrelevant reaction 
to a situation. Yeah. yeah. So Have you experienced, like, what's an example for you? I really identified with all of those symptoms. I was having nightmares. I still experience nightmares where my body is still stuck in that, like that freeze or fawn state for mm. me. And I feel like that little girl again. I didn't know how my body, when I've created so much beauty, love, wholesomeness, safety, success, mm -hmm. like how could I still be feeling like this? And I also experienced definitely emotional dysregulation when I was uh, in my early 20s. My husband and I would have an argument and he would say something that was sort of maybe even constructive, like, you know, a disagreement. Mm -hmm. And it would mean the end of the world to me. It was like the world was crumbling. And he was like, I just, you know, I, I just said I didn't like this yeah. or something. Yeah, because you probably didn't have like proper conflict resolution. You weren't exposed to that I as a child. I had no idea what it was like to have a healthy disagreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how to resolve it, like yes. how to repair, you exactly. know. Exactly, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. There was that, there was the executive dysfunction. So I know with an ADHD brain and a CPTSD brain, you can scan them and you can't tell the difference between the two. So there's absolutely mm. this, you know, I get so overwhelmed by a very simple tasks. Like if you give me an IKEA flat pack, I'm about to have a meltdown for sure. <laughs> it's like that is what causes arguments in the marriage. <laughs> it's like step one. I'm like, oh, God, like <laughs> shit. And it just, it feels yeah. so, um, it just feels so disempowering. Mm. I'm like, surely I should be able to put that together. Uh, but it just, it's my brain just really finds those things really, really complicated. Yeah. So when I realized that I was entering a long-term relationship and I wanted a healthy relationship and I wanted to one day become a mother, I seeked therapy to see what healing looked like. And I know that healing now is not an event, it's a process and it's an experience and it's something that I navigate every day. And some weeks and months are a lot easier than others. But yeah, I think what's really important to understand about complex post-traumatic stress disorder is that when you're exposed to trauma and um, abuse as a child, you're going through the most formative, vulnerable years of your life. When you have PTSD and a singular event happens, you can remember the safety and the, the foundations of who you were yeah. and who your identity was before that PTSD. Whereas with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, the person you thought was meant to be safe isn't safe. You don't trust them and you don't trust your own judgment. You have this fractured self that you're trying to piece together mm. and heal. And it's so layered and complex. I mean, it's in the name, but it is so complex. Because it's part of like the upbringing as well. And if you look at, I mean, you would know this, but for the listeners, like when you look at, especially in the early, early years, like before five, and then as a teenager, the amount of changes that happen in the brain as mm. far as like new connections and pruning of connections. Mm. And when something, that's why they say a lot of change for a teenager has to be coupled with a lot of stability. So they say like, if you're ever going to move homes and the, it's a 13 year old and you're moving cities, you've got to provide all this extra love and stability. So they're like, okay, this is unstable, but at least I'm stable because their brains are going through so much more than mm -hmm. a 20 year old or, you know, so that layered with a lifelong thing or something mm -hmm. that spans years with how you're raised or the upbringing would just like it, I don't know, like it makes me realize like how much it would impact someone's 
interpretation of the world and life and how they can bond and attach with other people. Mm. For example, on the way here, you were talking about going to Paris and just like booking that ticket. Like I also have, so as an umbrella, overall, I have anxiety. Specifically, I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And even more specifically to that, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. And I was thinking, wow, like it's so inspiring to me to go to Paris for four months like that. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if I could do it. Yeah. Even coming to Sydney, I have to, it's like exposure therapy to me to step outside of my yeah. routine. It's like something that's outside of the routine. I need to step out of it and go, nothing is going to happen. Like it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I have to walk myself but through But what it. I love about it is that you're putting yourself in these situations. Like you're the one that's like, I'm actually going to fly down because mm-hmm. we were discussing doing this interview and I'm like, we have to do it. I can't wait. I can't wait. And we were just going to do it remotely because you on the Gold Coast, I'm in Sydney. But then I think it's so... Like it says a lot about where you are at to be like, I'm coming down. I'm flying down. I am adamant that I won't let that part of my life rule my Mm. life. I feel like that would be, you know, just such a disservice to my being. Like I want to, I want to make my life what I can make it. I guess that's really my message to the world and how I try to live my life out loud is like, yes, I struggle with these disorders and there are so much There's so much misconception about what, I mean, particularly with OCD. I think I get told every single day, oh, I've got, I'm so OCD about that. Oh, And, you know, I mean, it's something that I don't personally get offended by, but I can see that it's, you know, it can be really insensitive. So, and did you want me to talk about that? Please do. Yeah. Because I touched on OCD so long ago, but I'd love you to talk about it and like obviously explain what it is, but from your perspective, because I think yeah. a lot of people have the idea that OCD is like the glass has to be positioned right here. It's yeah. like, no. Yes. <laughs> no, no. So it's more than that. Yeah. Definitely. So obsessive compulsive disorder has two main parts to it. There's the obsession over a thought and it can be about anything. Like it could be about millions of things for different people. So it can be about contamination. It can be about self-harm or harming others. It could, It's usually or typically uh, ego dystonic beliefs or mm. like ego dystonic thoughts. So meaning it's totally against your character. Mm. So you think, oh, I'm going to hurt that someone because I'm cooking and I've got a knife in my hand. Yeah. And yeah, you think, yeah. why would I think that? And that's why OCD is so shame-filled because then you keep it to yourself because you're like, I'm crazy. Why would I think that that's such a horrible thought to and think? And it's such like an intrusive like yes. thought in so your violent. mind. Yeah. yeah. And it can have there's, – there's even sexual OCD. There's so, so many different types. And then there's the compulsion aspect, which is when you do something to ease that obsessive thought mm. or sort of like soothe it. Mm-hmm. So for some people it's if you're obsessing over the gas – Uh, the stove being on, they'll go and check. And so that's the compulsion that follows it up and soothes it. For me, I really noticed that I had something going down with that when I became a mum and I had a daughter to begin. I was like, I have one daughter. And I mean, it makes so much perfect sense after all the therapy that I've done and, you know, hindsight and everything. It's like perfectly wrapped bow. But as an unsafe kid, I worried obsessively over the safety of my daughter. Of course. I was just like, just nothing can happen to her. I'm so scared and I'm so worried. And so I would I would walk into the room in her cot, and this is very personal, but I would have this thought that she'd been hurt. Mm. The, 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 the graphic would be in my head, the, the stress. Mm. And your brain doesn't know when you're having these intrusive thoughts, this is just a thought, this is just a memory, or this is just a, a distressing idea. Your body 
It going, feels like reality in that moment. Yeah. The nervous system is like, be on alert. And it's so stressful. And so I would check and check and check. And I actually had this thing called pure O. Uh, so it's pure OCD is the compulsion is a thought. It's not actually a physical reaction mm -hmm. to the obsessiveness. So it's where I think of different ways that I could prevent that thing from happening. Right. And so this is where I first recognized that I had something and it, and it happens with the safety of all my loved ones. And it, it just makes perfect sense as someone who was abandoned by her yeah. mother and father. And, and, you know, I wasn't safe that I just worry about their safety. That, and just, just fixate on that yes, thing. Still course, to this day, every, every, throughout every day. And I just, sometimes I think, gosh, I spend so much time worrying about things and concepts that aren't even real. And yeah. it's so exhausting. Um, and I guess that's why I'm so passionate about kind of destigmatizing because so many people would look at my platform and go, oh, you know, she's working and she's got the kids and she has fun and she loves her books. And it's like, I do all those things, but there are multiple truths because we are multifaceted yeah. beings. Yeah. And that and you I can have a really difficult childhood and disordered thinking and stuff that just drains the shit out of you and makes you feel crazy or fills you with shame, but you can also lead a life that is beautiful and so full of love. Yeah. And I, I love that I can talk to you about this because it's not something that I think a lot of people feel when they're like in the depths of their pain or, you know, it feels like they can't overcome something completely. It's almost like they look at it as like, it's either this or this amazing life instead of thinking sometimes life is both. Like sometimes I can be having Oh my God, so you've just got a tattoo that says this too. Yeah. Yeah, so like it's not this it's, or that, it's this too. It's this as well yeah. because it's not, I think some people think I have to fully recover from that before I can do this. I have to fully, but I think sometimes it's purely just number one awareness of what it mm -hmm. is that you are going through. And I think it's so good to be aware because then you can learn about it. Like you said, when you were, you know, when you first found out what it was that you had with CPTSD you were able to, it was almost like, oh, okay, you mm -hmm. know, because you can learn about it, you can understand it, maybe you could talk to somebody who had had it or you can read about it. You know, there's, I think with, when you're going through something for the listeners playing at home, number one is identifying, but then it, it's not like, okay, pause, you've got to quote unquote fix this before you can move on. I think mm -hmm. it's about finding a way that you can operate in the best way possible and not think that something has to be completely healed or completely go away. Cause sometimes it could, sometimes it will never completely go away and it doesn't yeah. mean that you can't have a beautiful life. Yeah. I love that. And that really resonates with me. I think, yeah, when I first embarked on the journey, I was like, is this forever? And the thought that I would live like this forever just absolutely annihilated mm. me. I was like, I cannot, I'm so tired. I'm 20 years old and I'm exhausted or I'm 25 and I'm exhausted and I'm 32 now. I'm about to turn 33 next month. And I just think it's this level of acceptance that mm. I'm going to exist in this world. And there's many things that make me, me. And I, I really hate the idea that we tell trauma survivors or a child um, abuse survivors that 
to be grateful for their journey. I think it's like so mm. toxic positivity. I, oh, I fucking hate. I've got a whole episode on how much I hate toxic positivity. I'm like, it's fuck like, off. No, that's so, you don't yeah. say to a kid that's been, you know, abused their whole life to be grateful for the experience. Like, right? absolutely or not. Or people say, oh, it, 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 like it happened for a reason. Yeah, it's like, mm, fucking reason. Yeah, that no. should never happen. No. It should never have happened. But in the same breath, it is our responsibility to, as adults and as we do gain the experience accessibility and resources to do something with that pain because it's not only a disservice to the ones that loved you but it's the one it's a disservice to you as mm. a human being and you're so worthy of feeling better than yeah. than that and uh yeah I think I love the idea that there's just multiple truths you know yeah did you ever feel because obviously now you're like I'm responsible for this change I am the one who's going to be driving this for myself did you feel, was it even before therapy or before, I don't know, but did you ever feel like powerless yeah, in this journey thinking I'll never be able to do anything about it? Absolutely. Yeah. So many times I felt so defeated, so defeated and just thought, thought like, how can this still be going? Mm. How can this battle still be going? And the more I understand about the complexity of the fractured self and how formative those years are, you know, understanding that children need that safety and I didn't have any of that and I just constantly meet myself instead of self-judgment with self-compassion like Mm. that's where the beauty lies I'm like every single thought you have you in the past have judged yourself for it and thought you should be thinking this Mm. you should know Mm. better should 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 and as I've gotten older especially in the last like few years like entering my 30s I've gone acceptance and self-compassion that's the only way you're going to meet yourself from here on in and I still go back and go I love that oh like oh you should have known that like I remember saying how can you've been in therapy for 10 years and still feel like this (laughs) and it's like because you didn't have the foundation Mm. your foundation was robbed of you yeah all of the love that you deserved and my therapist always says, have you ever seen a bad baby? <laughs> and I'm like, so true. You yeah. don't see a baby and go, she's a bad, like yeah. she's a bad kid. That's a bad, that's she's a bad egg right there. Don't love her. Yeah, exactly. Like they're a baby. That's so true. Mm. That's yeah, so that true. healed my inner child right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, I, I definitely go through phases of, it's cyclical. It's mm. like every major event in my life, there's another layer like having a daughter, having my second daughter, entering my 30s, even before that it was like accepting love for the first time. Ugh. Yeah. Like what? You love yeah. me? Like it was from that and it was so profound that I was like, what am I, what am I, yeah, like how do I accept that? And to answer your question about getting frustrated about the therapy, about the work, I, I mean, we don't go to the gym once and go, oh, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm at the gym for six months. I'm good. It's something that your body needs to go in for service. Your mm. mind needs to go in for service. You know, and I think it's really weird. I think we're definitely coming around now, and you would have a bit like way more insight into this than I would. But I think there's just such a stigma around mental health that it's mm-hmm. kind of like, all right, fix it, fix it. I'm fine, I'm fine. Whereas, like, like you said, with your body, you, I hope to be training until. I'm well mm-hmm. into my 90s, you know what I mean? Like you, you you, look at it as I have to, this is my servicing of my body. This is the upkeep of my body. This is what I've got mm-hmm. to do. But up until very recently, and even still not yet, 
you don't look at it as far as mental health and as far as, and I even say, like, even if you think, oh yeah, I'm fine. I have no trauma, whatever. But even with happiness, mm -hmm. you know, like it's something that I think you've got to be servicing constantly, constantly, constantly. If you let the ball drop, just like physically, if you mm. let the ball drop, you're going to notice changes for the worse. And I think that people don't like to admit that they're working or didn't like to admit that they're working on their mental health and it's something that needs to be worked at forever. Yeah. And it's romanticized too. Like mm. we were like, oh, I'm going to therapy, but it's like behind those doors, you're crying. It's fucked. <laughs> like, it's so fucked. Yeah, and yeah. it's so uncomfortable and it's so ugly and it's so filled with shame. And, and that's, I guess, you know, so important to me to talk about because it's really hard. Mm. I don't ever want to tell someone, yeah, it's sweet. You know, yeah. it, it is. It's so frustrating, so expensive, and it's so inaccessible to so many people. Like yeah. I talk about therapy, like it's frustrating, but some people can't even fucking afford it. Yeah. Like yeah. that's so unfair. So I think, you know, it's this ongoing journey. And I think that it's really important that I haven't been actively seeing someone for 12 years. There's been months in a in a transition to therapist or just a level of, okay, I need to just step away and do healing in a different way. It's not just therapy that heals me. Mm. Healing is going for walks and feeling safe or content. Healing is spending time with my kids and experiencing joy. Healing is reading a book and letting my nervous system relax and mm. feel rested. Yeah. Like yeah. my nervous system did not know what it felt like to rest, which is why I mean, I attest some of that, my success to that because I'm a hard worker, <laughs> but it's also like, super detrimental like to like my well-being. Yeah, <laughs> all the time, ready to go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I think you know that healing can look so different in different stages of your life, and just dropping that I should, I should, I mm. should, mm. and going. I'm just going to make myself with self compassion, and if that means healing today is doing fuck all. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think compassion is like such a huge one because I, I think unless you're genuinely compassionate with yourself, you can't listen to what you need. I think mm -hmm. not, not many people ever sit and think, what do I actually need right now? Like what oh my does gosh. my body need right now? Mm. No one does it. We're so – people are scared to sit with their own thoughts. Even people who – identify as not having, oh, I don't really have anxiety. I don't really have any, even then people don't want to sit with their own thoughts, mm -hmm. let alone someone who's gone through something a lot heavier. And then because of that, we're so used to, oh, I can't be bored. No, oh, no, no, no. Distract, distract. But then how often do you actually sit in silence and say, really, what do I need right now? Do I need connection? Do I need to be alone? Do I need to do fucking nothing? Do I need to go for a run? What do I need? Mm -hmm. We like structure it in advance so often that we've become really bad at listening to our bodies and then our bodies, we only hear our bodies when it's screaming, when we're sick, when we're, you know. Yeah. And I think you can only do that when you become compassionate. I totally agree with that. And I think that's something I learned pretty early on, just being detrimentally hyper self-aware. But I think, you know, having that relationship with other people and not knowing who to trust, I had to go inward and go, okay, you're all you've got. Mm. You are all you've got. Perfect. and that's scary. Like, what are we going to do? <laughs> How are yeah. we going to operate? How are we going to show up in the world? And so that relationship with myself became very, very strong. And then I spoke about this when we had our panel, but, uh, you know, the, the relationship of fitness came into it. And I was like, okay, this gave me so many beautiful 
antidotes to like, okay, if I work really hard at this, I can, I can get this. And you know, that integrity muscle mm. really became strong. Mm. And I think people don't lean on integrity enough. Like no. we need, when we say we're going to do something, let's go do it. Like show up for yourself. It's like the biggest form of self-love to keep a promise to yourself. It's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. And two pronged. One, because you're saying in the now it's important because you're saying I'm worth this time. I'm worth putting in the effort. I'm putting myself as a priority in this moment. But also in the long term, if you have if you have a track record of keeping a promise with yourself, you can then say, oh, I want to do this. And you know that you're going to at the very least give it your best. You know, you can lean on yourself and know that when shit goes bad, you'll be there. Yeah. You know, whereas if you always break a promise, even the small ones, then you say, I want to do that. But deep down you're like, oh, let's not even try because I've <laughs> let myself down every other time. Mm. It's like building a muscle. It is. Yeah. You know? And I, I feel like we, we are so more likely to be accountable to other people. Yes. And it's like, why? Because you're yeah. the most important person in your life. Why are you more accountable to a PT? Yeah. Like, who, it's crazy. who are they to you? Yeah. You, you are your most important person. One thing that I did want to touch on is your husband, Clayton, from what I gather, you've got a great, great thing mm-hmm. with him. You've been married or together for 13 years. Mm-hmm. How was the transition getting into a relationship with him? opening up about everything how was it because I think a lot of people also feel like oh, I couldn't date I can't I can't and I'm like yes you can't but it's all about like communication I think it all comes down to communication you know I think a lot of people think I've got to deal with everything before I can enter a relationship mm-hmm. and I don't think you should have to wait no. I think it's important to be aware so that way you can communicate but what's your experience with that I mean I have to think back so far <laughs> Yeah, back to nineteen. Yeah, I was nineteen. So I remember just masking so much. I wasn't honest with anyone. Mm. With what, like, I just wanted to be perceived as normal and boring as they fucking come. Like, I was like, I'm, I've got my shit together and I'm normal, and I don't have any baggage whatsoever. (laughs) Um, And I remember moving in with him, and we had our first blow up, and he went to go get space. Now, I do think he should have communicated that he went and got space. Because <laughs> in your head, you're like, he's left. Yeah. Abandoned. Yep. Triggered. Yeah. Massively. <laughs> massively. And it just all came out. I was like, this happened to me. And I just, you know, I'm really struggling and I don't know how to deal with any of this. And I guess that was really one of the biggest catalysts to going, okay, he left to go get space mm. and you lost it. Yeah. And you, you've been building these blocks and going, I'm here, I'm here, I'm going to be okay. I actually think he does like me. I actually think he loves me. And then it took like a blow of wind mm. and those blocks were just tumbled over. So let's, uh, yeah, let's have a look at what's going on here. Yeah. So I guess honesty, but like you got to be honest with yourself as well for that to come out to the to the other person. So yeah, and that was really one of the catalysts to going, okay, I need, I, I don't want to bring this to this relationship. I think this could be a really beautiful thing. And I think, you know, I could love this man and I don't want to repeat what yeah. I've experienced to anyone. I want to, this stops with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had to just like, hey, sit down. <laughs> yeah. This is what's up. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, it's shocking. Like most people, when I share my experience with my life they have no clue what to say 
Yeah. I'm like, what? Because a lot of people, well, a lot, most people haven't gone through that. Yeah. And they can't fathom that. Mm. And sometimes I think, you know, when people, you know, you look at someone, if you've not had any bad experiences in your life, especially growing up, and then you can, you, you can look at someone and easily make a judgment of like, oh, just do this or just do that. I'm like, you don't realize how lucky you are to think mm. that everyone else would find doing just that so simple. It's the same as like when you look at someone who's caught up in an abusive relationship. When yeah. someone says, oh, just leave, I'm like, you're lucky that you've never been in this position because had yes. you been, you'd know it's not that easy. And it's kind of like you're just so blissfully unaware when you haven't experienced what that looks like mm. and what it is to operate from that, you know, There's headspace. so much daily filtering that I go mm. through just without even anyone thinking. So my OCD pops up on a daily basis, multiple times a day, and no one would have a clue that I've yeah. had to sort of navigate that within totally. a split second. Totally. And I feel like if you're listening and you are in this position, sometimes people don't understand you, not because they don't want to, but they just have no idea. And it does require that, especially with a partner. It just requires that. Because I think for the most part, people are good and they do want to help, but they just have no fucking idea how, and they don't know how to meet you where you need to be met. Yeah. And you don't, also want to throw away something so quickly it's just I think communication is so huge yeah. so huge you know and there's so much resources now there's even you could if someone's saying I'm struggling with this or that you can google or pot, like search in podcasts mm. and find out an episode on that and find out how to be a support person and that what questions yeah. are asked how are they you know how do they need support like everyone is yeah. so different and it's just, if you care about that person, it's so simple to uh, do like to look into it. Yeah. Hearing this as well, it, it helps you. Like it, it's an eye opener for people being like, how could I just be there for somebody mm -hmm. that might have gone through something that I have no idea about? I mm -hmm. don't think it comes down to, you don't have to experience it to be able to support somebody. No, you know? no, not yeah. at all. And when someone has gone through traumatic events or when someone has mental health disorders, I feel like they don't actually know how to be supported. It's yeah. a journey. It's like, okay. Everyone's in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, this person's trying to nurture me and that doesn't feel good to me right now. So when they say, you know, oh, this is actually not working for me. Can we try this? Like that's a, a way you can navigate mm. it together because more likely than not, they've actually never had anyone try to nurture them, which can then make them feel like they're avoiding you or like, mm. uh, like, cause they just feel so overwhelmed. Yeah. It's like, what, what do I do with this? <laughs> this person's trying to nurture me and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to do with this. Yeah. One thing that I think you could definitely speak to, and you've gone through a few of these like journeys as well. Like you started exercising regularly in your late teens. Yeah. Yeah. Roughly. But then of course, after having the kids, exercise was a big, you know, thing for mental health as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the impact, because I'm huge on why exercise is so good for your mental health for many reasons, not just because it's because you're exercising, but because of this, like what we were just talking about, the um, integrity side mm. of things as well, but how that has helped or impacted you? Oh, it's been enormous. And I, I feel like you fall into a cliche when you're like, fitness is so good for your mental health. And you hear it so many times, but it's so true. It's almost like when you hear someone say meditation is good for your mental health, you're like, oh, fucking duh. Or like, <laughs> yeah. you know, when someone's like, go for a walk and it's really good for you. It's like, yes, it is. But it's so true. Like, I yeah. feel like for me, it was profound because I hadn't experienced what self-respect was. 
Yeah. So when you have like no understanding of what that could feel like, I just felt like I was superwoman when I one day could back squat 20 kilos and then the next week I could back squat 30. I was like, oh, this, this is, I'm going to take this on. (laughs) And, you know, it just became this outlet for me. And as soon as I found that connection, I was like, I want to teach other people. And then I was, you know, coaching and um, just absolutely obsessed with it. But I think it's just been the gift that keeps on giving because for me, it's just, this consistent thing that I've always been able to rely on. And it's funny because when I look back at my childhood, I was always a kid that was like skipping math to do PE. Like I was like, "Um, hey, Mr. Healy, can I join your class? And he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) And I think they knew it was good for me. Like they knew that I was struggling at home. You needed it. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, jump in. And like I would just do whatever I could to be moving my body. I mean, the endorphins, I'm not on medication for my mental health and I have no, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing if that's what you need to, you know, uh, use it. But for me, that has been a way that I'm able to regulate my nervous Mm. system and I don't feel like I need to take medication. And I feel like if I didn't find all of these other holistic things such as reading to calm my nervous system, um, moving my body to get those endorphins. I I feel like that's something that I would explore more. Yeah. I, I feel that when there's an absence of exercise. Totally. And the interesting thing is because this this is what's so fascinating about when you look at medication. I think people look at medication as like that is what changes the chemical structure of your brain true Mm -hmm. but then there's actual behavioral interventions that change the chemical structure of your brain like you can have a chemical do that or you can have a behavior do that and they obviously operate differently for different people at different levels so it is case-by-case basis but yeah exercise the effects of exercise and the changes in the chemical structure within your brain Mm. is wild yeah I remember even just with a heartbreak the one time that I'd be like truly like I'm genuinely okay that I got dubbed was when I'd go for a run I'm like I'm good I'm fucking good like euphoric isn't that crazy though like it's so amazing yeah it's a painkiller well endorphins are a painkiller but the interesting thing is so endorphins obviously the point of endorphins being released when you exercise is to like relieve the pain or because you're putting your body under stress in the moment. So you release these endorphins to like soothe your pain, but they also soothe emotional pain, just like painkillers, like medication helps soothe emotional pain as well. It takes the edge off like heartbreak or total distress. I do you, is there any truth to if I'm like a hypervigilant person with my CPTSD and I like being under stress, mm. not, I mean, I guess it's my baseline. Yeah. It's like being under stress. Yeah. There's like some comfort when I do my exercise and I'm, my body's under stress. I'm like, this is what I know. Yeah. And if I'm craving a stress, I mean, I know some people do it with their relationships mm-hmm. and they want the drama and they want the yes. hustle and the tussle of the back and forth thing. Like that gives me the heebie jeebies. Yeah. Whereas like, tr- like some people would look at my training and be like, why would you want your heart rate at 180? Like for a prolonged period of time. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, I fucking love that. It feels like home to me. Totally. It's and like a I, lullaby. Think, <laughs> I think it's also a way, I think why it's also so therapeutic is because you've got this stress But if you can funnel that stress into, it's almost like you're funneling this emotional stress and letting it out through this stressful event, which is the exercising. So you almost feel like I've kind of like released it from my body. Kind of like you look at when geese fight and if they don't actually fight, then they still have to (laughs) because they've got to get rid of that energy. energy, Like animals do that as well. It's like if I've got all this pent up energy, it has to be spent. Mm. So if I haven't had the fight with the other goose or whatever, you'll see them like 
Mm. They have to get rid of it. I feel like I had this very natural attunement. Like I knew even when I was like on my own in my house, I lived by myself 14, 15, 16. I moved into a, a friend's house when I was 17. But I'd catch four buses a day to and from school and I'd come home and be empty. And I would dance. Like I would put yeah, Britney Spears wow. on. I'd put NSYNC on and I would dance. And it's like something in me knew mm. I needed to move my body to feel better. To feel better. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And you obviously knew that from a young age as well with wanting to join the PE classes. It's yeah. like you instinctively knew that that was kind of your safe, safe space. space. Well, it was yeah. an equalizer, right? Like if yeah. you're on the sporting field and you know what you're doing, like people would be like, oh, you're, you know, yeah. let's play with you. And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Like yeah. I had friends. I felt, I felt safe. So totally. yeah, there's absolutely truth to that. But basically my message is um, you can... Britney Spears, your way out of mental health. <laughs> <laughs> Every afternoon. Okay, can we actually touch on that though? So mm -hmm. you were living alone as well on top of all of that. Yeah. When all this happened, you were alone. Yes, alone. For years. Yes. Yeah. How did you manage? <laughs> I guess when I was 14, I thought, well... That's so young. I thought I was old at 14 and then I've got a cousin who's 16. I'm like, you're a child. You are a child. And I can't yeah. imagine that now. When you're in it, I don't think you know, you don't know any different. This is your life experience and mm. you're like, okay, this is happening to me. How do I just get through the next day? Like I just, I'm just going to walk myself through it. And when I hit that rock bottom period, I touched on earlier, I was like, okay, let's, where do I go to from here? And I was like, I just want to finish school. And mm. school, even though I had a lot of, I was very vulnerable, which made me a perfect, perfect uh, target for bullies. It still felt safer. It still mm. felt like, okay, I'm, I'm safe. Like there's adults here that care about my well-being, And I had guidance counselors and I had special teachers. That, Did you reach out to these guidance counselors about what was going on? Yes. And I just never really sort of exposed the truth. And I didn't know the truth. Mm. I just thought, oh, my mum hasn't been home for a while. So I kind of like sugarcoat it. And then I was so scared. I was so scared that she would, like, they would call her. Mm. And then I would be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So you were protecting yeah. her almost. Yeah. 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 I remember almost feeling relieved that she wasn't home. But then it's just such a juxtaposition because then I was like, she's not home. And that's a relief. But then she's not home. Yeah. It's like these two yeah. conflicting emotions that you're feeling. And what's so interesting is like when I do the work, you know, my mother was always abusive, always. And my father was too. And when I think about the most traumatic experiences, it's actually not when they were doing things to me. It was more the neglect. The abandonment mm. is where the wound is. Like that's really what hurts is the silence. Yeah. The absence of love or the, just that like solid, you're not important enough anymore. Yeah. Like abandonment, it's like <sighs> the killer. Yeah, and I feel like obviously, even though it was traumatic, you bond. It's like this the trauma bond, you mm. know, that you you of course you're still very bonded because it's they're your parents and you oh. love them. Yeah, you know, especially when you're a child, mm. that they are. I think up until like the last few years, I'd still defend them. Mm. Oh, they're doing their best, you know, but it's like, and it wasn't enough. Yeah. It wasn't enough. Not even close to yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. And you can say that now. Yeah. And I still get people saying like, you know, you only have one mother. And you're like, yeah, I do. And I've had to grieve. <laughs> I'm very aware of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I fucking know. 
<laughs> don't I ever? Don't I wish I had a little referee? Don't, like yeah, a little don't I wish I had a fucking substitute? <laughs> oh, in saying that, shout out to Brett and Depp. They took me in when I was 17 and they're still my kids' grand grandparents now. Mm. Yeah, they're the best, the legends. And they are who? They are? My friend's parents that I moved into when I was 17. Wow. They're like, I, I just remember getting to year 12 and going, how the fuck do I do this? Because I was working like every single night as a waitress. I was working on the weekends as a retail assistant. And I just remember just getting really sick, like all the time. I was living off, like as Asians do, like omelets and rice <laughs> and two-minute noodles. I was just like, oh, my God. Um, Iconic diet. <laughs> Soy sauce forever. Um, and so I just remember going, I don't know if I can do this. And I said to my friend, Mike, I was like, I really need somewhere to go. And he was like, I can ask my parents. I was like, okay. And they, you know, wanted to take me in. And I was, and, and I said, I just, I just want the room. Thank you. I just want the room. I don't want you guys. Mm. I just want the room. Mm-hmm. Made that really adamant. Yeah. And I don't even remember the conversations I had with Brett and Deb. I don't, I don't, like, I can't recall them. They're just like black in my head. Mm. But Deb said, you know, she said, oh, do you, do you know when you might move back into your family home? And I said, oh, well, no one's there. So I, no, I don't know. And she's, she's like, oh, do you know when your mum will be back? Because she wanted to like ask or like talk to her. Yeah. And I said, oh, I think she'll be, I don't know. Like, I think she might be back when she loves me or like something along those lines. Yeah. And Deb was like, holy shit. And so she just set out to go, I'm going to show you that I'm going to be here for you. Mm. And she just grew to love me, which I did not trust. I was like, <laughs> You're going to hurt me. And wow. she just never did. Wow. Yeah. So they're like pseudo parents now. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. They're amazing. So grateful. And they're like, so now your girls have a good relationship with them, obviously. Yeah. I'm very lucky. For That's them. so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's just like reconciling. Like, I, as I said before, like it can get really frustrating when you're like, oh my gosh, like, aren't you over this? You know, that, mm. that really sort of authoritative part of me is like, come on come on, don't feel like that anymore. But when you think about it being the first 16 years of my life and I'm 32, I'm actually really proud of the progress. There's so many people that wouldn't have been able to get to where I am now. And when I think of that or think about just the inner peace that I can have, even if it's fleeting and even if I do struggle on days, I'm like, no, I am really proud. Mm. You're doing good. Yeah, (laughs) very good. (laughs) I feel like people would love to hear this. And hear how you express yourself and how you, you know, talk about your journey to where you are now. And still there's, you know, a long journey to go. Mm. But I think it's really, I don't know what the word is, but it's so refreshing in a way. But it's nice to see that you can, if not exactly at the same time, you can have everything. Mm. Yes, not at the same time. Yes, it's the plate that's on the ball. Yes, it's. But it's, you can live while healing, but at the same time be building the life that you want to have. And you, you know, you are doing that. Yeah. Which is like incredible. I think a lot of people who don't have any trauma would just love to be doing half the things that you're doing. So it's like, it's pretty amazing that, you know, you can inspire people that just want to be doing what you're doing, but also people that are going through something really difficult, even Mm. if they don't aspire to have their own businesses or anything, but just to have be leading a life that they're happy with, but still can admit that they're working through what they're working through. Yeah. I I love the idea that when we're 20, we're like a two-year-old adult. (laughs) That's so true. When we're 25, we're like a seven-year-old adult. 
Mm. And when I adopted that, I was like, I met myself with so much more grace. That's so true. I love that. And it's like, hey, we're just figuring it out. I'm a child adult. I'm just a child. <laughs> I'm just a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yes. a, I'm figuring this shit out and it's really hard. Mm. And, you know, even if we do have the guidance and the love from our parents, like I just think it's, we're all just doing our best. I truly believe everyone's just doing their best. Yeah. And just, yeah, meet yourself with grace. Like this year I've just been trying to lean into grace and lean into fun. I love that. It's been such a gift with my kids. Like, oh God, I can talk about all of this and not cry. And then I talk about my kids and having fun and I just want to cry. <laughs> but literally like, I think I've played more as an adult in the last five yeah. years than I've ever played in my life. Like, and it's such Isn't a gift amazing? to play. And they're so like, watch her stories. They're the best. Like your daughters are just so funny. Like they are, com they're two like little comedians. And I am, and I'm always DMing you like, can't breathe, can't breathe. Ha ha ha. They're so good. Oh God. And they are. It would bring you, like, gift. obviously it's, obviously it's a lot of work, but I could just imagine that those two girls would just bring you like so much happiness that you've like so never even known. It's like the hardest and the best thing at the same time. Like it's again, multiple truths or this true, like, like there's not just one thing. It's like, it's just everything. Mm. It's just been so incredible. And, and you know, it's not their responsibility to heal me, mm. but they do just by existing Yeah, because I look at them and I go, fuck, I love you. Like, fuck, you're amazing. Yeah. yeah. And you just exist. Like, even when they're babies and they're blobs, you're like, you are literally the most amazing being. And they're amazed. like, they're just like farting and dribbling. <laughs> and you're like, you are the most lovable thing I've yeah. ever seen in my life. And yeah. that to me was really healing because I was like, that would have been me. Yeah. And um, it's a choice. Like, you've got to just opt in and go, wow, like, this is an incredible experience. Mm. And it's really fucking hard. And I've lost my identity. And I feel like myself more than ever. It's just so wild. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I it's love like a that. reckoning. I love that, what you just said, that you feels like you've lost your identity, but you're yourself more than ever. Because I think so many people have that like crisis when oh, they yeah. have children. And that's my, like, I want kids. Mm -hmm. Tyrone, if it was up to him, we'd have three already in the three years that we've known each other. <laughs> he is dead ready. Oh my God. Yeah. And my husband was like that when I met him too. And it's so like, it's beautiful because it's, yeah. he's just got this excitement and the way he is with his niece is just, oh my God. Mm -hmm. But that's my, my one like, uh, uh, you know, with, with kids. And I know I definitely want them. There's no question about that, but it is that identity thing that I'm always like, it's just something that you've got to come to terms with. It, it's kind of inevitable, at least initially, that everything is going to change, you know? I'm not going to sit here and say it won't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it will. But I think it's just, it's like a rebirth. Like matrescence is a new pathway to discover who you are. Mm. Like it's pulling back the layers and going, who am I? Yeah. And, oh my gosh, it's like the most incredible experience. And I'm not trying to romanticize it. Like it's, it's beautiful and so hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think to put it lightly, kids are like farts. You can, <laughs> kids are like farts. You can deal with your own, but not anyone else's. <laughs> that is so hilarious. So yeah. But yeah. And you have your own, you'll just be like, I would do anything for you. And yeah. that's what it's like. It's like, I mean, in my experience, it was like, I would do anything for you. Mm. So it it's like. 
I don't know. It's like love just comes out and you're just like, holy shit. And it's kind of like a. It's yeah. primal. Like yeah. It's, it's and it's a there. different love to like a romantic love. It's a different yeah. level. And you love your dog. And I feel like when you like see mm. people who like adore their dogs, you're like, you're going to be sweet. <laughs> oh, I'm obsessed with my yeah. dog. It's so fucked She up. was showing me pictures of her people on the way here yeah. in the Uber and like showing me all these <laughs> pictures. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this one. And look at this. Oh, he looks so grown up there. And this is him as a baby. <laughs> I've got like folders of him. Like, and I'll hug him and I'm like, you, I love you so much. You don't understand. And he's just like, fuck off. And I'm and like, I didn't so even show you like inter- one baby photo, yes. but you're like, this Not is my one. dog. Photo. This is my dog. Like, and I'm like, my child. <laughs> oh yeah. God. Imagine me with children. It'd be hilarious. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for this chat, for everything. Thank you for coming at sharing your story. Honestly, if you guys don't already follow Revy, it's at Revy Jane is her Instagram mm-hmm. handle. Um, can you talk about just just plug everything? Oh, <laughs> okay. TikTok, I'm, Instagram, I'm your brand. I'm absolutely bloody terrible plugging myself, but here I go. <laughs> your Instagram handle is Revy Jane. Yes, Revy R E V I E Jane J A N E, and that's me on TikTok as well. And I have an athleisure label that's considerate sizes six to twenty and uh, made in Bali mostly. And uh, yeah, that's me. What's it? What's it called? A leader state. Alita State. Do you know why I love that? Um, I was actually telling Shania this on the way. So Alita is, so my family calls me Alita. That's like the nickname. Because in Latin it means like a goddess. Well, yeah. It So, yeah. And, but in Spanish it, well, because my name's Alexis, the short version, they would just call me Ali. But then because I was little at the end of, you know, the diminutive when something's cute and little, you add Ita or Ito depending on the gender. So that'd be like Alita. And in Spanish, that means little wing. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. (laughs) So I'm like, oh my God, the name is so good. (laughs) I'll have to send you some things. But yes. Yeah. But if you you. don't already follow her, please go follow her. Obviously, she responds to DMs. You're a lot better than I am. I'm like, I try to respond to my DMs. I'm a shit Don't say that. I'm a shit Don't say that because there's so many people I don't get to, but I do try to speak back and and just communicate with my yeah but you know but thank you so much for having me and i hope that you know my chat today has helped someone feel a little bit less shame about what they're experiencing internally and mentally and sure that you would have because of the like the dms that i would get have you know been questions around topics similar to this so i think it would have been like very helpful and healing for a lot of people okay well that is my job done then (laughs) thank you so much (laughs) thank you guys for listening love you so much and as always remember be kind to yourself be kind to your brain don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself